Well, welcome to the journey. Uh, Thank you. And, Andrea Holmes. Uh, uh, let me explain a little bit about what the journey is about. Um, the journey is uh, a show about individuals who've had maybe struggles in their life or setbacks, um, some type of thing that may have uh, happened in their life, which happens to, um, well, all of us, or mm -hmm. at least many of us. And what have they done with those experiences and how have they recreated themselves, how have they failed forward, mm -hmm. how have the, how through resiliency um, and the development of resiliency have they transformed. And mm -hmm. so uh, um, I know that we we just recently met, mm -hmm. and um, but I've heard a lot of a, a lot of uh, great things about you. Oh, and, thanks. Uh, <laughs> so, but before we get started, um, tell me a little bit about um, who you are and and what do you do. And if if someone was uh, we were going to introduce you to someone, who who who's Andrea? Well, um, I am a Rockford native. Okay. Um, art teacher been teaching for RPS for just my 29th year um, done all kinds of things in the classroom but ended up doing that most of my career um, I have a daughter um, she's 26 okay what's, what's her first name Lindsay Lindsay okay. Lindsay yeah she lives in Chicago now okay um, and I'm just um, I don't know I'm a um, I've had a lot of different things happen to me in my in my life. I've had a lot of ups and a lot of downs. Okay. Um, but I guess I'm. If you have to ask me one word, I'm a survivor. Okay. Right. <laughs> well, before we jump into some of those stories of of what that means to be a survivor, mm -hmm. um, what do you do for fun? What if if you were gonna have a, a time? Uh, a, a time that didn't have too many demands on you. Mm -hmm. what, what would you What would you do for fun? What do you What makes you come alive? Um, I'm an artist. I like to paint, and I almost have a loom at home. Okay. So um, I do that. I read every day. I probably read a book every couple of weeks. Um, I go outside all the time with my dog and hike and. Okay. So if we went to your bookshelf right now, what would be a couple books that we'd see uh, oh, on your bookshelf? Um, I've got, currently I'm reading The Nickel Boys, okay. and that's about, it's it's a fictional story based on um, the Dozier School, and I'm not sure where that is, okay. but it was a reform school for boys. Oh, sure. Yep. Have you heard of that? Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, so it's, it's a fictional account of that. Okay. So I'm reading that. Um, I like David Sedaris a lot. Okay. Um, I have To Kill a Mockingbird. I've read mm. that a few different times. Okay. So I'm kind of all over the place. Sure. I, I resemble that. I know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I love to read, and I am, I'll am i be reading more than one book at a time. Oh, absolutely. So, so that yeah. happens as well. Absolutely. So how did you uh, get into art? Because my wife is an artist, and I'm always interested in how that uh, how that came about. So tell me, how how did you, you find... Uh, uh, obviously a passion for art, but mm -hmm. but um, then later you were able to turn that into a career. When did that all begin? Boy, um, I, geez, I don't really know. I mean, I've always liked it. I've always done stuff. I've always had people say, oh, can you do this for me or mm -hmm. that or whatever. Um, so I just, I just kind of progressed along. But my passion really came alive when I started teaching art. Oh, okay. So... Um, yeah, I just, teaching was what really opened it up, and I became freer to do my own things. I kind of get through stuck through um, things where I'm stuck in, um, 
uh, a block right now. Okay. So I'm hoping maybe this is going to help me. Okay. <laughs> come out of it. I don't know. Okay. All right. But and and so you've been teaching for 29 years, mm-hmm. and and for the Rockford School District the mm-hmm. entire time. Okay. Mm-hmm. And you teach at the grade school level. Yes. Right. And, mm-hmm. and it's always been elementary level. Uh, yes. Okay. Uh huh. Always okay. has been. Okay. And what what led you to go into education? Then? How did that? And and then art maybe was a another part of that but how to what led to going into being a teacher um I love connecting with people okay um and for me <clears throat> school is an important place for me it was a um it was a safe place for me um I I had a lot of teachers that I just fell in love with I was one of those kids that wanted to go home with the mm-hmm. teacher <laughs> but I just love learning too I'm curious about absolutely everything and knowing different things about different things and so I just I love that atmosphere too okay I love right. the atmosphere where you can make mistakes and it's okay sure, sure. <laughs> well it's it's interesting that you say that because I, that idea that it's it's okay to make mistakes is sometimes what I hear the opposite of it, mm. and espe- mm. especially in the schools right. that there's such an emphasis on if it has to do with sports on winning if it has to do with academics about getting it right or getting an A right. and and it seems from an outsider it seems like sometimes it's more about regurgitation of information yes. than it is about the whole process of learning which means there's going to be struggle right with trying to get a concept or or in wrestling with it and that's okay yeah and that's where we learn yeah. we learn we learn by doing we learn by making mistakes that's where we learn the most right. um and i think there's a um, an emphasis on test scores mm-hmm. in rps and probably most districts but that really comes from up top mm-hmm. when in the trenches we don't feel that way as teachers we get a lot of um pressure to get those test scores up but really it's not about that it's it's um it's about having a safe atmosphere environment for kids to learn and and open up and that's where true learning comes from it's not regurgitation because regurgitation is a lower level learning and if we really if you're thinking about test scores um, they're testing also higher level thinking, so you have to be able to break out of that. That's the first step. Mm-hmm. We don't need to be stuck on the first step. We want to want to grow our students, mm-hmm. not just spit them out. Right. When you talked about a safe learning environment, um, that's multifaceted, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so, if you could talk just a little bit of what you when you think of a safe learning environment for your students, say Gregory, what what is it, what is it kind of, what is it that you're trying to create when you refer to it as a safe learning environment? Um, an environment that has a feeling when you walk into it, you know, places when you walk in, you have a vibe, um, an accepting, um, calm space just to be you. Mm-hmm. And if you, we have a lot of children in trauma mm-hmm. and so they're coming in with lots of issues and lots of things on their mind and lots of worries and just a space to just to be and if those surface it's okay mm-hmm. and we're 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 learning as as a staff we're training different techniques and and just modeling it's okay to make mistakes mm-hmm. and and safe 
physical safety. Right. It's a place where they can they can eat breakfast, mm-hmm. they can eat lunch, they can stop and go. We have little chill zones in our rooms, um, and it's um, we just have like different like squeeze balls and um, different meditation techniques. And so we'll have kids that will um, just just gonna lose it gonna have a meltdown you know Mm -hmm. and like push tables and all Mm -hmm. kinds of stuff and and um i've had kids kids just in the middle of a meltdown just they stop and they breathe and sometimes you'll say do you need do you need the chill zone or they'll just go and they'll just sit in there and forever however long it takes Mm -hmm. there's one in every single room every adult knows about it. every kid knows about Mm -hmm. it i think that's the biggest thing that makes them feel safe mm-hmm. they're not going to be judged right. and the kids are really good too because someone goes to the chill zone that's okay that's their thing sure so. sure interesting i think that's a great the idea of um of all the different facets of creating that safe place for learning and in mm-hmm. creating that um that you could be vulnerable enough to right. to be curious to to explore, which of course means that you're probably not going to get it right the first time, right. um, and yeah. uh, and then working at and being open to instructing and guidance. And so, uh, mm-hmm. um, I know um, maybe a year ago I started doing some work on trainings within the school system mm-hmm. about uh, resiliency and developing mm-hmm. resiliency. And mm-hmm. one of the things that um, we talked about, it went in steps as I was doing the research. One of it was for the educators to, in their own life to be able to identify gratitude, mm. but then also to identify their own stories of resiliency. Mm-hmm. And I know that as we were talking earlier, um, you have a couple stories uh, mm-hmm. of yourself uh, mm-hmm. in, in, in some of the trauma that you you experienced in, in your own life. And so maybe you can touch a little bit about that because as you mentioned, some of the students that come in mm-hmm. have um, not only some of the trauma from from the from the community, the neighborhood that right. they may in, but it also may be happening within their own homes, mm-hmm. um, and uh, and that could be a variety of different types of um, different types of trauma. So when you, um, from your own experience, uh, uh, you. You talked about before we met, um, before we started today. You talked a little bit about some things that you experienced earlier in your life. So mm-hmm. maybe you can just touch a little bit on that. Well, I think you know when you asked me why I got into teaching, I think that was kind of the the embedded meaning for me. Okay. Um, because I wanted I wanted to provide a, a place like I had growing up. Life is can be a little chaotic and yeah. sometimes um, things outside of school are beyond your control especially when you're a child mm-hmm. so um, so I, I think that's why I got into teaching and so I'm sorry tell me again so well well you, I think you just started leading into it uh, so growing up there was some in your own home mm-hmm. the reason why school was such a safe place for you was because there was some chaos going on in your own home is that is that no? What tell me before. See, that's my chemo. That's my oh, other that's story. Okay. <laughs> that's, a, that's okay. Well, we were just talking about how um, it, earlier in your life that there was some trauma that that you that you experienced, and then that is um, where you can identify with some of the oh, students. Oh, okay. That, yeah. Thanks. Yeah. yeah um, I um, I see kids. I see myself 
in, in a lot of the kids. Um, and I know what it was like to sort of be lost a little bit. And so when I see, I, I can identify um, um, trauma behavior, okay. withdrawing, um, aggression, um, just kind of like a, a deadness in their eyes. Mm -hmm. So when I would, when I see this, um, oh, I'm sorry, my chemo brain is. That's okay. It's so, so if you if you do see a, a a student that is struggling, or maybe not struggling, but all of a sudden there's a change in affect, right, or, right. or they kind of have that blank look on their face, you're recognizing that that may be there may be something else going on. They just haven't oh, yeah. just checked out. Oh, or right, bored. right, right. And yeah, so, and it's it's. Um, the student is not their behavior, mm -hmm. and the behavior is, is communication. Mm -hmm. And in, in, it's taken me a long while in my journey to not take their per, their behavior personally. Sure, yeah. Um, or to get really annoyed by it, because it mm -hmm. can be annoying. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but that's where I use my own meditation and my my techniques. But yeah, I, I can see I can see that. I can connect with that, and and way where I can't really use words to express how that is, mm -hmm. but it's it's really gratifying to to reach somebody. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's just a little little touch point, and then then it's it's covered up again. But you see little glimmers of of kids right. and. Well, I think you said something there that. I think as a tendency, as, a, as maybe an, as an educator, as an instructor, or as an adult, if we see a student or a younger person not following the directions or not right. following, um, not being compliant at that moment or whatever, yeah. um, there is a tendency for us to take it personal as right. if somehow the behavior is a reflection on us. Right. And you're saying that because of your own experience right. and, and you, yeah. as well as your own training, that that may not be the case yes and that yeah. there may be some other story that's happening um <clears throat> happening with the with the person absolutely absolutely there's there's so much more behind the behavior mm. the behavior is just what we see right we don't see what's going on inside what's so at that time period with one of your students let's say not saying any names but mm -hmm. if if you saw that what would you what would be your uh, what's your tendency to, um, how do you interact with that particular student? It really depends on the student. Okay. Um, my, my natural response is to go right in. Sure. And I know that um, a lot of our kids, they, they, you have to be really careful of their personal space. Mm -hmm. And trust issue, you have to build a lot of trust. Mm -hmm. um, so I really try to read the kid, and it's just like a split-second read. So it just really depends on it. Um, but one of the things that I like to say is, what do you need? Uh, okay. And it, I don't know. I don't know. I said, well, and then I'll say, well, do would you like to go to the chill zone? Do you need to step out in the hallway, get a drink of water? Do you need to talk to somebody? Mm -hmm. You know, just kind of go down the menu. Sure, sure. So kids in trauma are not used to that. Right. So it takes some training on their part. We're all in it together. We're all learning together. Sure, right. And like you said, I think it is that every every student's going to be different because mm -hmm. they, and and even then a student may be different 
in September oh, than yes. they're going to be in February, right? Or I mean, in the morning to the afternoon <laughs> or this minute to the next minute. Right. That's that's the thing I found about trauma, too, is it's not, um, it's not predictable mm-hmm. in any way. Yeah. Well, and I think as a result of trauma, when we identify something as trauma, it's something that has happened to us that uh, that for the was out of our control right and right. in some ways it, it it still is unpredictable mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and and there's usually the thing that seems to have deeper roots with it is that somehow we've internalized it and and made it personal emotionally so mm-hmm. when we think about the difference between if a stranger um, you get hit by a stranger that's mm-hmm. that's one thing and the mm-hmm. physical wound will heal but if you get hit by a family member mm-hmm. um that's different another level yeah the 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 skin may heal the, right. the flesh may heal at the same rate in both cases but right. the emotional impact may yeah. be different um yeah yeah for, for the for the latter so i think it i think it's if it's a family member or someone that you know or trust or love it's um hits you at your core your soul mm-hmm. and that's um, we can we can recover, but we and we can accept, but we can't forget. Mm-hmm. We, we can't ever forget that stuff. Yeah, you had mentioned earlier about um, that you would identify yourself as being a survivor, mm-hmm. and 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 then also, uh, so tell us a little bit about that. So survivor implies that something something's you experience something in your life. So. Uh, yeah. Tell us, tell us a little <laughs> bit about that and or where you'd want to go with that. Well, um, I survived domestic violence. I was married for 28 years. Okay. Um, and it was, it wasn't, um, I don't remember that show, The Burning Bed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Yeah, it wasn't The Burning Bed scenario. Okay. It wasn't physical. It was emotional and mental. And okay. I... Um, Everything that I did was controlled. Okay. When I ate, when I went to sleep, what I wore, mm. I couldn't see friends. I couldn't do any of that stuff. I just every single way you can control a person, okay. I was controlled, and I just was living my life like a robot. And um, I would have little glimmers of, I don't. This isn't right. I don't like it. Um, but what can I do? Because mm. I have a daughter. Okay. And I was told that I would lose custody of my daughter by my ex. Okay. Uh, so I waited until she was able to move out of the house. And that last summer, um, she was going to move away to Milwaukee. That last summer got really bad and started the physical, started amping up. Okay. Um, so the last night that we were together, um, just he and I were in the house, um, he held me against my will for a long time in the house and got pretty violent. And I'm a believer in I'm a believer in God. I don't for me I don't care what the name is. Mm-hmm. It's something bigger than me. And we were we were upstairs and we had all these sheets of drywall, which is a whole nother story why those are there. But um couldn't get out, couldn't get out it was hours. And um I heard a voice that said push the drywall on him just as clear as we're talking and so I did and that gave him enough pause he was under some drywall that I ran downstairs um, I couldn't get out the front door because 
the lock was was weird. He would never fix that. He didn't want me to. I don't think he wanted me to leave on my own. Um, so I called 911 on our land landline because he had broken my cell phone. And it's so weird. I'm standing there as close as we are. And this person that I loved for so many years, even though he was abusive, I still loved him. He's standing there. And I have to describe what he's wearing to the 911 operator. And he's like, he, he was going to take the phone and rip it off the wall. I said, it's done. I've already called. So we waited. He said, get your coat on because you're going to get arrested. It's not going to be me. So I got my coat on and I waited to be arrested. And they came in and they separated us. And they, we, I was lucky to have two cops that knew something about domestic violence because a lot of times they don't. Yeah. They blame the victim. Mm-hmm. So um, we talked and uh, I was upstairs talking to the, the cop and all of a sudden I didn't hear anything downstairs. And I went downstairs, and there he is out in the cop car. Hmm. And I just looked at him, and I just kind of got a little giddy because I thought, okay, the cage door is open, and I'm free. Hmm. So um, so after that, I just, you know, it's, a, it's grief. It's mm-hmm. a grief process, the whole sure. thing. And um, I did, just made it through. Did he have any contact with you after that? Um, just in court. Oh, okay. Court, yeah. He... Um, he never worked, so um, I put him through school, got an MBA. <laughs> Goodness. Yeah, he, he, he has student loans, but I, I paid for it too, and I was the primary okay. caregiver and whatnot. Um, but no, I paid maintenance for him while we were going through the divorce. Um, so you, you, you paid temporary maintenance because he wasn't working and you he were. He wasn't working, yeah, so I paid my abuser. Okay. So, um, anyway, we ended up finally divorcing. You drug it out and um, price of freedom. Mm-hmm. You know, money was okay. You take it all if you want. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm free. And I, I, I never looked back. The hardest thing for me was giving up on the, the dream. Yeah. The dream of being married and growing old with somebody. Um, but once I was able to let that go... I found in myself, um, there's a Albert Camus, mm-hmm. I, that quote, and I can't get it exactly right. In the midst of winter, I found in me my invincible summer, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And I found my summer. Yeah. 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 I mean, I still have days where that I'll get flashbacks, you know, and certain triggers and things, but I'm able to, to cope with them. I'm not afraid of things anymore. Okay. Okay. That's the big thing. Okay. Yeah. So let me, because I, I don't, I know there's there's a handful of people that may not fully grasp um, domestic violence. Mm-hmm. And, and you're talking also about another face of domestic violence mm-hmm. that, because we typically think of it being physical. Right. Um, and clearly that is the majority of times it is physical. But physical doesn't necessarily uh, come without um, the verbal and the emotional. Right. Right. Um, but you, um, you and your ex uh, started dating. How old were you when you were starting? Oh dating? gosh, nineteen. Okay, so got you married were, at twenty-one. Okay, so you were young. Wouldn't advise that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you were young, and and but I'm guessing, and and 
and this is where sometimes where people don't really understand. Well, if you if he was that way from the very beginning, why did you stick around? Mm-hmm. But but was it like that at the very beginning? He was not like that. No one would stay with somebody if they were like that from the very beginning. Sure. Absolutely no one. Sure. So it, it's slow. They mm-hmm. get you in and establish some kind of a, I don't know environment where you know you catch catch more bees with honey. So okay, I was in and and I trusted him. I'm <clears throat> not a super trusting person. I was and I am way more now. Um, <clears throat> but he just kind of got me in. And I used to say, even while I was going through it, oh, if, if he hit me, I would be gone, mm-hmm. you know. But he did something, I don't know, I don't want to say more insidious because it's not a either or, yeah. but it was really insidious, the, mm-hmm. the mind control and the mind games, and it makes you feel like you're absolutely... Um, you're you're so stupid. How could you survive outside? You have you don't trust your you don't trust your own mind. There's a lot of gaslighting and um, <clears throat> so the violence didn't occur until he knew that I was making a plan. But I wasn't. And that's what I want to really impart to anyone that's in that situation now is when you're making a plan, don't let that person know you do that because that's the most dangerous time is when you're making that plan and when you first get out. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe speak a little bit more to that because it sounds like you learned that because mm-hmm. it did come out that you were making a plan. Mm-hmm. And why why do you think from your own experience and also what, you, what you've come across, why is that the most dangerous time? Because I think a lot of times when there's verbal arguments going back and forth because you're an educate, you're, you're educated, you, you're going to stand up for yourself, so mm-hmm. you get into arguments and, and then, of course, then he'll he'll probably say things or do things that are um, where you wouldn't go. So why is that the most dangerous time period um, when well, you're to if you share with somebody mm-hmm. either out of a threat or out of I'm not as weak as you think I am mm-hmm. or however we why mm-hmm. whatever the motivation is mm-hmm. why has that become the most dangerous? Well, because they're losing control. Mm-hmm. It's all about control. Like I said, my my ex controlled absolutely everything but the mind is the worst thing i mean i've i've been a lot of um dv groups uh, remedies has saved my life sure yeah um but that's control is the main thing we a lot of us women had said you know just hit me and get it over with because then that's done Mm -hmm. it's that waiting for that other shoe to drop Mm -hmm. and so they're losing control and and in in arguments um I was the type of person that would always back down. And so when I stopped backing down, that's when the shift happened mm-hmm. for me and then also for him. Because okay. they, they don't want you leaving. I think a big part is um, they, don't, they don't want you to talk to other people <clears throat> and see that this really is not right. Mm-hmm. It's not normal. And you're, you're getting out, of, out from underneath their thumb. And then they become desperate. And so another part that you just alluded to is that they don't want you talking to other people. Right. And so you're from Rockford. Right. So do you have family here in Rockford? I do. Okay. My dad lives in town and my sister lives in town. Okay. And and so 
growing up in, in with, with uh, mom and dad were married uh-huh okay so yeah. when mom and growing up with your sister and mom and dad what what was that household like what was your house like growing up <laughs> we weren't um there were alcoholism was an issue okay um and we kind of my sister said it best we were all kind of islands Okay. So no one was close to anyone else, really. We just, I mean, we, there was no arguing or anything like that. But it was just kind of mm. just everybody go and do your own thing. So you'd keep stuff inside. Yes, you keep stuff inside. You kept stuff inside. Oh, yes. School was a refuge. Yep. It was a safe place. There was yeah. multiple teachers that you wanted to uh, uh, go home with. Go home because, with. <laughs> because they were so, they were kind and nurturing at school. So yeah. And and so then you meet, you meet your ex. Of course, he's charming. And, and I just can I just interrupt? Yeah, sure. I love my dad to pieces, and I love my mom. They're great people. I don't want to say that they weren't. Well, and I think thank you for clarifying that because we may not get all our needs met right by our parents because they may not have necessarily known how to do that. Right. I yeah. Absolutely. But they don't have to be demonized. No, no, no. No, it's, not at all. It's just part of the story. It's just part of how we may have come into come into our adult adulthood. Absolutely. And it's part of what made me stronger. Mm-hmm. It really did. So I'm thankful to them. Yeah. 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 And I think that is uh, you know, with individual you know, parents that may have uh, alcoholism going on, or there may be emotional, physically there, but maybe not emotionally fully available. Meaning, mm-hmm. um, being able to express uh, pain, being able to express joy, being able to express fear or sadness, um, but maybe only certain aspects. Well, we don't get that full range of development, and we're not modeling it for oh, our right. kids. right, that's true. You know, that's and true. doesn't mean that they're maliciously trying to hurt no, us. No, no, um, no. But unfortunately, sometimes, though, it does set us up for, yeah. um, it's almost like a training because that's what happened when you got married. Agreed. Because you already knew how to compartmentalize. Right. And keep stuff inside. Yeah. And until that you try to, um, you learned that you could break out of that. Mm Mm-hmm. So so you get divorced and that Mm -hmm. didn't come with its own... Mm-hmm. Its own penalties, right? <laughs> because the way that the system is mm-hmm. set up, and mm-hmm. um, because your situation, though in domestic violence, in domestic violence, it's probably unfortunately more common than not. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. But um, the system as a whole, usually, um, is, that that isn't always the way it is. Is the system as a whole, uh, meaning the legal system, when people are going through. Yeah. Um, uh, Divorces that the yeah. that the perpetrator in this case yeah. was also the abuser. Yeah. Or no, let me say it. the perpetrator was the abuser, but um, but wasn't the primary um, uh, primary uh, money winner. Yes. You know? And yeah. so uh, so I think that is unfortunate that um, that mm-hmm. the system didn't work for you in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Though the system did work to allow you to have your freedom. Yes, and like I said, the price of freedom is. Worth everything. Yeah. 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 I know why the cage bird sings. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, so then as you uh, started learning how, and you were young when you guys got together, mm-hmm. so you were redoing life. Right? Yeah, right. And, and not only the freedom, but then 
also how to think for yourself and mm-hmm. how to to do a lot of things. And so what what was that like? Even though you were doing a lot of singing at the time, what what, <laughs> what, what, what was that like? At, so that would have put you in your early 40s, right? Um, no, later 40s. Later 40s, yeah. okay, later 40s. Yeah. And so what was that like uh, being able to explore life now without um, getting permission from someone? Oh, at first it was scary. Sure. But it's kind of, I kind of felt like a dare, too, you know, when you're a kid. And I dare you, well, I shouldn't do that. But um, so for me, it started out with um, just little things. Um, I, I couldn't make any decisions about what was in the house or whatever. And, and you know, I just I just got this little paper towel holder. Okay. And I saw it, and I was like, uh, when I saw it, I was like, oh, I like that. Oh, I can't get that. Oh, wait a minute. Yes, I can. I had this little dialogue in my head. And so I got it, and I just, I was so happy, and I'd look at it every day. I mean, it sounds so inane, but it just gave me, gave me such peace and happiness, and I knew I was on, on my road. Okay. So that was an example of knowing yeah. that you're healing yeah. from the trauma. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and just, um, I was in um, a session with Christina, and I didn't have any emotions about anything. I just really was shut down. And she was talking about my sister and how we reconnected because I wasn't allowed to see any of my family either. Okay. So we reconnected, and um, she was asking me how, how I felt. And I realized, I said, I think I missed my sister. Mm-hmm. That's what that feels like. And I asked her, is that what that is? She goes, yeah, that's what that is. So there's all kinds of emotions that I, I hadn't felt in years and years sure. and years. So, so in a lot of ways, that, and I think that's also it's important for people to understand is that, you know, one is one the trauma is going on, and then when you mm-hmm. are released, right, right. And then you do have that freedom. Then it's about how to learn how to live again. That's right. And it's so many times that people will go back to their original order even if it was chaotic and with with a different partner because that's what Um, you know mm -hmm. and and don't experiment and and be curious about how to grow into um who who god created you to be right so um, so and then you mentioned also that so you you got divorced your divorce was officially over when uh june 4th of 2014 okay so in 2014 Mm -hmm. and then you mentioned that um Chemo that mm-hmm. you mentioned. And I'm assuming mm-hmm. you had cancer. Yes. <laughs> and, and, and when were you diagnosed with cancer, and and what type of cancer? And I was diagnosed in May of 2017. Okay. Um, uh, stage two breast cancer. Okay. Um, pretty aggressive. I um, went in for a, a regular mammogram one year, and the next year, the nurse had said next year do a dense mammogram. I have dense tissue, mm-hmm. and um, a lot of women do. Mm-hmm. And she, she, I said, okay, well, do you think insurance will pay for that? And she said, I, I'm not sure. I, I think so. Um, anyway, so I went in, and um, I got that, just sort of like, oh, well, I should do this. And they found it there. Mm. And then um, they did the biopsy, and everything just happened. It was immediate succession. I got... The diagnosis on a Thursday, um, and I went up to Madison. That's where I got all my treatment. Madison was on the phone to me Thursday night, and I was um, 
seeing the surgeon and oncologist on Monday, and then I started chemo on Wednesday. Oh my gosh! So it was boom, in boom, less boom. than a week. Yeah, you went from a confirmed diagnosis. Yeah, less than a week to uh, starting treatment. Yeah, in less than a week. But that's the thing that domestic violence did for me. It gave me many gifts. But that's one is, okay, what do I have to do? Okay. Let's go. Okay. So I always just kept my head up, and I just kept moving. Okay. So, so when you say that the gifts that domestic violence has given you, mm-hmm. was that gift that was, was that learned in the, in the 28, 29 years that you were married, or the gift that you, afterwards that you learned that you just got to keep going? Or maybe both. All the way through. All the way, okay. All the way through. And I learned that from childhood, too. Okay. All the way through. Okay. All, All right. the way through. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, alcoholism was in, in your family upbringing. Mm-hmm. And, and though there wasn't abuse and there wasn't uh, domestic violence and no. that, but there was an emotional lack of development right. that, that happened. Um, and then, like you said, just... As you got involved in this relationship, you have a child, you're trying to create a life, you're trying to create this family. The dream. The dream, right? (laughs) (laughs) This is what artists do, right? We dream. Yeah. (laughs) And um, and, and we'll fill in the blanks when they Mm -hmm. don't. That's for sure. Right? And um, and, and then, but there was lessons that were learned that now when you get this uh, cancer diagnosis and and started treatment within less than a week, mm-hmm. which is in itself amazing, but yeah. also grateful that things could happen that fast. Yeah. How long did um, were you going through the chemo and, and going through the treatment? Chemo was, I want to say, six months. Okay. So I'd have a treatment every three weeks. Um, and then after, well, actually, the hard chemo was that I was on chemo for a year. Okay. But the hard chemo where you lose your hair and okay. all that good stuff, okay. that was six months. Then after that, I had two surgeries, and I had um, five weeks of radiation. Okay. So start to finish, like a year and a half maybe, something okay. like that, maybe okay. a little less. Okay. And during that time period, who did did you have other support? You're now three years out of the marriage. Mm-hmm. Um, who who was your support at that time? Who were you leaning into? Mm. Um, it, what was it like going through that uh, that aspect of treatments happening? Mm-hmm. You've been through some tough stuff, but mm-hmm. now this is this mm-hmm. is the new dragon that you're facing, mm-hmm. um, and there's consequence to this. Um, Little things, mm-hmm. <laughs> like losing your hair, right? Mm-hmm. Little things. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, and, and were you working at the time? So, so fill me in on all uh, Yeah, I, I was working, um, but I got, a, I got a leave of absence. Okay. So, um, and the, most of the chemo was over summer. Okay. So, um, tell me again. Um, essentially, as you were going through the treatment, mm-hmm. and even though you were grateful that it was a, a pretty quick diagnosis and treatment was right away, um, some of those life things, uh, the, the side effects of the chemo. Um, oh. what, what was it like in those times? Because there's oh, okay, going to be people who are that. listening that are okay. um, want to know, what did you do to, to okay. survive that piece? Okay. Well, um, I, I learned to trust in other people. That, was, that started with the um, coming out of the domestic violence situation. But then cancer also, it, it knocks you on your knees 
and mm-hmm. you have to learn how to trust because you can't go through it alone. Mm-hmm. So I prayed a lot. Um, I had just met um, a man who's um, now my boyfriend, Mark. Mm-hmm. Okay. I met him um, probably a few months before I was diagnosed, and so we were kind of a newer couple, and he just said, okay, what are we going to do? And he took me to every treatment. He's retired Army. took okay. me to every treatment. He, you know, held my hand just, but he is, he's also, um, he was, he's been through his own, own things in the war. He was a paratrooper and mm. lots of injuries and things. And he just, okay, let's go. Mm. So, you know, I, I had, I had a, like two days, I think, where I sort of fell apart mm. and you need those days to fall apart and cry and, mm. you know, and little bit of the poor me but you can you can visit but you can't live there sure so i got through it just by this is temporary i can do this i there's facebook pages i went through um uh there was a program at um saint anthony's i was still going through counseling went to sacristina a lot um but i just had i just had faith i had faith in in God and I had faith in myself and I really hadn't had faith in myself before so it just I never thought about dying Mm -hmm. it never it never entered my mind I never um and Mark my boyfriend says don't don't claim the disease so I never said my cancer Mm -hmm. or my doctor or my surgeon or my disease okay um so I just I just kept moving and I leaned on people when I needed to lean on them. I felt every single emotion that I needed to feel in that day or that night. Or, um, but chemo's tough. It's it's like um, hard chemo is um, feeling like you have a a massive hangover that never goes away. Mm. So every day was oh, just it just felt like. Oh, I can't even get out. I don't. I couldn't eat. I didn't have any taste buds. It kills your taste buds. Mm. Your eyes are constantly dripping because it dries out your eyes. Okay. So I'd go to the, the store and people would look at me and think I was crying. Oh, I'm like no, it's cancer. <laughs> <laughs> sure. But I I went out without without a wig. Okay. I got a wig, but I never really wore it because okay. it just felt like it just wasn't me. So okay. I donated it. Okay. Um, my dad bought me that wig, so sorry, Dad. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't wear it as much as I should. But, yeah, just if I were to give somebody advice, I'd just say connect with as many as many survivors and people that are going through it as you can mm-hmm. and and do things that, that feed you, mm-hmm. even the smallest things, you know. Go out for a walk. Force yourself in the beginning to go out for a walk because that's so important. Eat. Get as much nutrition as you can mm-hmm. and get up off the couch. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. So movement. Yes. And doing, don't um, go based upon how you feel. Right. Because there's a Fake need. Fake it till you make it. Yeah, there's a need to <laughs> push through because yeah. you may not be able to trust how you feel being the right thing for you. That's, that's well said. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. You know, um, there's another thing that you said, and I think... It came from maybe from Mark, and, and he didn't maybe he didn't use these words, but also a critical piece was um, cancer is part of your story, but didn't have to be your story. Doesn't define me. Right. It's just one of those ingredients that made me 
pretty awesome cake. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So um, I want to go back to um, a- ask you some questions about now. You, you've been, uh, so that was in 2017, mm-hmm. right? So divorce happens separation mm-hmm. happens and and then you have a, a, a three-year reprieve uh-huh and then um, and, and so it's been over a year now since mm-hmm. since you've had any treatments mm-hmm. is, that, is that about right mm-hmm. okay. yeah and you're back in the schools working uh-huh. and so and I know they're doing you, you were talking earlier about they're doing some different things uh-huh. specifically within your school um, to try to connect with um, and help the students to create a safe place. You talked right. specifically about the classroom, right. um, having the different classrooms <clears throat> having chill zones, and uh, and I think there's uh, Gregory was part of the trauma informed um, mm-hmm. education and, and care. Mm-hmm. But then you mentioned something about mindfulness, um, a mindfulness school. Um, is that did I mm-hmm. have that correct? Mm-hmm. What does that mean? What to it means. Um, being mindful of where you are in the here and now okay. and trying to let go of things that are external that you cannot control, um, not missing any of the good things. Um, for, for those kids, they're in a constant state of the fight or flight. Mm-hmm. So we give them tools to become mindful in the, in the present moment. We, I do um, guided meditation with them, okay. um, yoga with them, um, and I, I'm teaching them um, poses for different different emotions like anger and okay. um, vulnerability, and you have to be careful with those. You know, it could be too much for that person. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're just really stressing on on empowering kids. What you have, what you need already inside, and it's our job to help you bring that out of yourself. Okay. All right. So, two two questions with that. Um, one is this idea of, I mean, you happen to be um, an art instructor, mm-hmm. right? and and so I get to be. Uh, yes, yeah, so, <laughs> and, and and so um, and then you may have the one who's teaching math may go, well, how am I going to do this? You can, it's easy for you, but bef- before we, yeah. if we do get a chance to address that, but w- how do you think for for you art allows? I was reading an article just recently about um, art being a platform in which you can. Um, help develop empathy oh yeah um, and and how would you how would you say that that in your experience how would you say that that you've seen that um, or how do you go to help facilitate that well art is um it's such an open thing there's no right no wrong it's just you mm-hmm. it's you at that moment how you're feeling that moment and it really opens up a lot of um a lot of a lot of feelings um it helps you see how you think about certain things. Like for me, is control. I, okay. I am uncomfortable when I'm not in control. Okay. But I'm I'm way way better than I was. Sure. You sure. know. Um, but when you're when you're painting or sculpting or whatever we do in the classroom, it's not doesn't have to look like that or like that. It's just you. And when you get in that zone, you are more it's a meditative state so you're more in touch with 
who who you are, how you're feeling at that moment. And sometimes you're just silent. You're not thinking. You're just creating. You're just mm. being. And how many times in, in life can we just be? Mm. And so that's a big part of why I like doing what I do. Okay. And to teach empathy, you have to know you have to know yourself first. Mm-hmm. To okay. be able to to be empathetic, you have to know yourself first. Sure. And and so by utilizing different art forms and different projects mm-hmm. that in teaching certain things, um, but then for the students to be able to participate in that mm-hmm. and get into that that space, get into that zone, um, then they're by knowing their own emotions mm-hmm. and, and being in touch with that. And not being afraid of them. Then then they're able to connect more with each other? They are. They're able to connect more with each other. Um, there's And they see that there's no right or wrong. There's no one way to do it. There's just my way. Mm-hmm. And um, I they, they, they don't like this in the beginning, but they'll come up and say, what should I do? You know? mm-hmm. So, well, what do you think? I don't know, Miss Alma, I don't know. Well, why don't you go find somebody and ask them, what do they think? So that kind of builds. Uh, Some community that way. Community. Community is what it's all about. Okay. So I think art is really great, a great place. It's it's been untouched by the the academic powers that be. It's kind of, we don't know what you do. Maybe you just draw pictures all day. Well, we we are... um, I started a, a nonprofit um, three years, three and a half years ago, um, called Shatter Our Silence, and it's a young adult program um, to prevent suicide, to mm. prevent suicide within young adults, and raise awareness about mm-hmm. mental illness. And uh, in this coming, uh, in about two months, we are going to have an event um, called Out of the Ashes, and we're specifically going to be talking about the platform of athletics and the arts to help develop a resiliency mm-hmm. and and mm-hmm. allowing transformation to happen. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. with the idea of resiliency um, developing, uh, using art as a platform mm-hmm. to develop resiliency, how have you seen some of your students um, develop resiliency um, in your classroom? Um, I think just the freedom to express themselves okay. without judgment. Um, the freedom to make a mistake mm-hmm. and that a mistake is an opportunity. Mm-hmm. That's, I think, that's kind of how I see all of my, my things that I've gone through. Um, they're opportunities. Mm-hmm. You, you have to, I think the power of resiliency is seeing things as an opportunity. Mm-hmm. I can look and I can focus on, I have cancer. I'm going to lose my hair. I might die. Or I might not make it out of my house tonight. Mm-hmm. You know, I can look at that and sure they're there, but I have to, I, I have to see the opportunity in it. Mm-hmm. I have to see that there's another, there's a way out. Mm-hmm. And if I'm mindful I will that that will present itself if mm-hmm. I let things come to me. Mm-hmm. So you have to see things in opportunities, sure. and that's what I try to provide with my kids: is lots of opportunities. I don't say this is how you do it. Mm-hmm. So here's the material. Here's the prompt. Now go. Mm-hmm. And that's the hardest is to start, sure. but they're getting better and better at it, and that translates into 
when they when they need to calm themselves down or when they're thinking about things um, they need to process emotions mm -hmm. just it's an opportunity don't be afraid of it don't be afraid of it because things are going to happen and you can choose to be afraid of something or you can choose to embrace it the warts and all and it's going to be hard but you're going to make it yeah you're going to yeah. make it you know i think there is that there's that that tension right that in between space mm. between giving a framework creating a space have, having some instruction right 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 we're at the same time a freedom to explore be creative and then just as you were talking when you purchased that paper towel holder <laughs> yeah <laughs> as you can then see in someone else's eyes when they've done something yes. without being told what to do Yes. And how specifically to do yes. it. Yes. But yeah. then you see that also. Yeah. And you know then you yeah. can celebrate with them. Yeah. Thank you for that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you put that well. So, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, as we um, as we wrap up, and Andrew, thank you very much for coming here and sharing your story. If you were going to share something um, that you would want the listeners to, to part with, what would be either one thing about your story or about how you utilize art or yoga or anything what would you what would you want them to boy um just don't give up okay. it it will come just be patient it'll come yeah and you know just go with the flow i guess yeah. go yeah. with the flow well i andrea i appreciate you sharing your story oh, um the you. fact that you uh, continue to continue to pursue um something more than the walls of your prison that you were in mm -hmm. and and that you had the courage um, because it's a crazy amount of, of courage you must have had mm, to, thank you. to be able to step out of that and 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 be open to the mm -hmm. idea that maybe I need to push this drywall yeah and, um, mm -hmm. and then being open to that type of guidance guidance as well but then yeah. after you got your freedom um, like many times you had the courage to not sabotage it right Yes. Um, and then when you were faced with another opportunity <laughs> or obstacle <laughs> yeah. you had, um, yeah. you took yeah. some of those lessons that you learned and you did battle with cancer the same way. Yeah, life's journey. Yeah. And I appreciate what you're doing for our students. Oh, thank um, you. for our community. Um, thank you. Because if we can plant some seeds when right. they're younger, um, right. Right. Uh, maybe right. Uh, that will grow into something as they get older. And I think, too, that I'm... Um, uh, people that are um, abusers, they're not born that way. Right. And so I, if I can just touch one person and turn that around, how many lives will that impact? Yeah. So. Unfortunately, abusers um, probably have just as much fear as the victims. Oh, they, just, have, they have more, I think. It's just directed in a different way. It's directed in a different way. Yeah. That's yeah. right. Yeah. So that's not to say it's okay for them no. to be violent and abuse either emotionally or verbally or physically, but um, right. there's a story there as well. There is a story there, yeah. So, Andrew, thank you again for, for you. being part of the journey and, and <laughs> for uh, being able to share this conversation. So, thank you. Um, well, thank you very much for being with us today. Um, and um, if, if for some reason you find yourself in a situation where um, – 
where domestic violence is happening in your life or some type of violence is happening in your life, um, I know it takes a ton of courage to break that silence, but that's the first step. Um, ask for help. And if you don't get it the first place you ask, then continue asking until um, you're able to get some kind of um, reprieve from that and get some kind of guidance. Um, again, thank you for being here today, and we'll look forward to being with you again next week.